For the last several months as a church, we have been walking through the book of Psalms. And today, and for the next several months, we shift our attention to the book of John. Our pattern for the next several years is going to be this. The book of John in the fall and winter, the book of Isaiah in the season of Advent, the book of Hebrews in the series and the season of Easter, and the book of Psalms in the summer. So here we are now turning the corner to the fall, so we turn our attention to the gospel according to John. Today's text that Abigail just read to us, verses 1 through 18, is known as John's prologue. It's probably one of the most majestic and beautiful and theologically rich sections of any of the four gospels and of all 66 books of the Bible. And because it's so majestic and beautiful and rich, let me just say here right at the outset, no single sermon can ever do this justice. I want to set your expectations real low here (laughs) this morning. I mentioned this in my clergy note in the Toronto News on Friday that I just preached on this same text eight months ago on New Year's Day. And I barely scratched the surface then. I will barely scratch the surface today. It was Augustine, the church father, who said that this prologue is such a masterpiece, we shouldn't even try to say anything about it, but I'll give it a try. Anyways, I want to welcome the Truro kids that are in the room today because your teachers and assistants are having a well-deserved Sunday off. So let me encourage you kids to track with me by taking that notepad out that's in front of you maybe or a piece of paper and just writing down some things you notice today from what I say, or write down some things you notice from the Bible. Have John chapter one open in front of you. Draw a picture if that helps. And every five minutes or so, a little point will appear on the screen. You can write that down and see what you think. When I was about your age, seven or eight years old, I came to this church for the first time on vacation, sat right back there in that transept. So one of these days, kids, one of you will be up here. So take notes, it'll be your turn soon. Your turn soon. We could spend months just in these 18 verses. We could park ourselves in these 18 verses. But instead, what I think we'll do, rather, from time to time, is return to it. Because this section, these 18 verses, is not so much a parking lot as it is a GPS or a real-time map or a, a guide that is meant to guide us through and walk us through the rest of the book. It makes sense of the whole book. It gives perspective on the whole book of John. So we'll come back to this prologue often. And as we begin our journey today, our long journey through the gospel according to John, we'll see that these 18 verses work almost like a pair of glasses. You can look at a pair of glasses, you can admire a pair of glasses in the frames and the lenses, but the pair of glasses is intended to be looked through. And the prologue works in much the same way. It's meant to be looked through. And no surprise, as we look through these 18 verses and as we look through the Gospel of John, as you read through the Gospels, one thing comes into focus, and it's Jesus. And we'll see this as we go through John. Jesus will come into focus for us. Jesus will come into focus as our light, as our life, as Lord. Jesus will come into focus for us. Jesus is more wonderful than we could ever imagine. 
Jesus is more glorious than we could ever comprehend. Jesus is mightier and more tender and more brilliant than any of us could ever grasp. And so that's why we open the book of John and we pray, God, reveal Jesus to me. And that's the burning desire of my heart as your pastor. I think you know this by now, that we would come to see more and more just how wonderful Jesus is. We would come to see more and more just how brilliant and kind and merciful and strong Jesus is. So that's why every fall and winter, until we finish the book of John, we will take our time through this book. There's no hurry. So please turn there with me, if you have a Bible with you, to the gospel according to John. John is the author of this book. He was one of Jesus' disciples, so he knew Jesus well. The author, John, is different from John the Baptist. We'll hear about John the Baptist today and in other weeks. That's a different John. So John, the one who wrote this book, was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is the author, so he can call himself that. (laughs) I'm the disciple Jesus loved. I love that. And he writes this account of Jesus' ministry and of Jesus' life so that we would come to love Jesus and come to know Jesus and come to see Jesus clearly. For our purposes today, for the sake of time, what I'd like to do is approach this prologue, these first 18 verses that Augustine says no one should ever try to improve upon from three angles today, just three angles. There there are a million angles that we can look at these verses from, so let's just do three. And I'll frame these angles today by asking a very basic question. And I know it's basic, but let's go ahead and start here at square one, since we're starting at week number one. And here's the question. Why does God reveal himself to us in Jesus? Why does God reveal himself to us in Jesus? God, infinite, holy, omniscient, all-powerful, God, Why does he decide to reveal himself to all mankind, reveal himself through the Bible and through the gospel of John, ultimately through a real man with a real name, Jesus? First reason, that we would perceive God. That we would perceive God. Verses one through five make this clear to us. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, notice with me that just in that first verse... Three times, Jesus is described in an interesting way, in a way no other person ever in history has been or will be described. Jesus is described as the Word. And this is crucial for us. This is key. This is telling us that Jesus is how God expresses himself. 
Jesus is God's means of communicating himself. Words are our means of communication, aren't they? Some of us, some days of the week, some hours of the day, better or worse than others with our words. But words are how we express ourselves, our thoughts, our ideas. It's the way our thoughts are made and our heart is made perceptible to others. After our 745 service, a a lady came out of the service who's a teacher of young children, kindergartners, and she shared how this past week she asked her students to describe things that are round. And one of her students said, the oaf. And the teacher said, the oaf? What, what is the oaf? And the kid kept saying, the oaf is round. The oaf is round. Finally, they understood what she was saying. The earth. <laughs> the earth is round. The oaf. That child was learning how to use her words to communicate something that was in her thoughts, in her heart, getting it out in words. God communicates himself. God communicates his heart to us principally in the word, Jesus. Notice here, Jesus is not described as one of God's many words, but singularly, uniquely, the word. There, we heard it from Genesis 1, in the original beginning of original creation, Jesus is the pre-incarnate word. Then fast forward to the new beginning of a new creation. In John 1, Jesus is the incarnate word. I like how the J.B. Phillips translation puts it of John 1 verse 1. He writes, at the beginning, God expressed himself. That's what's happening in Christ. All the way at the beginning and throughout history and in a manger in Bethlehem and on a cross, the way God expresses himself is in Jesus. And what happens then in Jesus is that God fixes one of the fundamental problems in the world that we ourselves could not fix because we ourselves caused it by our sin. And the problem that God fixes in Christ is the problem that we cannot look at God in the face. Think back with me to the Old Testament. And think with me to the scene in Exodus 33 when Moses has ascended Mount Sinai. He's been conversing with God. He's been talking with God, receiving revelation from God for a while. And before this encounter with the Lord is is finished, Moses asks God an understandable question. He says, God, would you show me your face? God, I want to see your face. God responds to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 20. Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. But in Jesus, God fixes this problem. And he shows us his face in this way. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, we heard it in our Genesis reading earlier, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. 
I've learned recently that some of you have a little game going on during the sermon to see how long it will take me to quote a hymn. (laughs) So I'm going to throw a curveball this morning and quote Mary Did You Know instead. (laughs) Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. Jesus is not an email from God. Jesus is not a text message from God or a fax. Let me go back in time here to different modes of communication. Jesus is the face of God. You wanna know what God is like? You wanna know what God looks like? You wanna know what God is all about? Look at Jesus. Trace his life through the gospels. That's how we are able to perceive God. God has revealed himself in Jesus that we may perceive God. Second reason, that we may believe the gospel. It's right here in the prologue. God reveals himself in Jesus that we may believe the gospel. John, the disciple, the author, tells us of another John, the Baptist, not the Southern Baptist, the original Baptist, Beginning in verse six, John the Baptist was sent from God, and now verse seven, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So say these four words after me from uh, verse seven, that all might believe, that all might believe. That's it right there. That's why John the Baptist was sent from God as a witness. That's why John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote the gospel according to John. There's no hidden, hidden motives here. There's no trick brainwashing being attempted by the authors of scripture. It's right out in the open why they wrote these books. If you wanna keep your finger here in John chapter one and flip with me to the end of the book in John chapter 20, John, the author, tells us clearly why he wrote this book. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, under the heading of, thanks to our editors, this clear heading, the purpose of this book. (laughs) There's a billboard for us with flashing neon lights right at the end of John. Here's the purpose of this book. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, and I can't wait till we get to heaven, hear about all the other things Jesus did that we've not been able to read about. But these, meaning the book you have in your hands, these are written, the gospel of John is written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of this book. So God reveals himself to us in Jesus that we may believe the gospel and so that by believing, we may have life in his name. 
Follow this trajectory with me. Here's the trajectory that John gives us. Light of Jesus leads to belief in Jesus, leads to life in Jesus. Light leads to belief, leads to life. So this book then that we have in front of us, every verse of it, every chapter of it is like a living invitation to us saying, believe in Jesus and experience the fullness of life in Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you would describe yourself as an unbeliever, God wants to use the book of John and the light of Jesus to lead you to belief for the first time. But he doesn't want to leave you at just belief, at just intellectual assent. God wants to use his Holy Spirit working through the book of John to lead you to belief that he may lead you into life in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you describe yourself as a believer, same goes for you. You've believed, you can't believe again for the first time, per se, but you can believe more deeply. And God wants to use the light of Christ to, believe, to lead you into deeper belief in Christ and deeper and a more abundant life in Christ. Belief is not the final destination. Your walk, my walk with Christ does not end with belief. I believe in Jesus. It would be like you arriving at church today and getting to the door and then going back home. Be belief is the doorway into fullness of life in Christ. John says it, so that by believing you may have life in his name, you would come into the room of Christ. Verse nine tells us, the true light, Jesus, the true light, meaning not the counterfeit light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And now John, the author, is giving us a bit of a guide here, a map to what we'll see in the Gospel of John, a, a sneak peek of what's going to happen as we go on here. Even though he had made the world, they didn't know him. Even though he had come to his own people, they didn't receive him. But verse 12 makes the trajectory clear again. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, look at what he gives to you and me. He gave the right to become children of God. That's life. Becoming a child of God and living into that identity. That's life. And we see here then throughout the scriptures that God's agent of light and God's agent of life is Jesus. Jesus is God's method of bringing light into places where there is no light. And Jesus is God's method of bringing life into places where there is no life. Whether it's in Genesis 1, whether it's in Lazarus' tomb, whether it's in your prodigal daughter's heart, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in your personal relationship with God, the way that God brings light and life always has been and always will be 
through Jesus. This is why God reveals himself to us in Jesus, that we would believe and that by believing, we would have life in his name. Where there are things that are dead, the only hope of resurrection is Jesus. Where there are things that are dark, dreary, hopeless, the only promise of light is Jesus because he is life, and because he is light. Finally, look with me, one last angle here at the closing verses. Closing verses of this prologue. Why does God reveal himself in Jesus? Lastly, that we may receive grace and truth. I'd like for us to read these four closing verses because they're just so wonderful, I can't imagine skipping any of them, but then I want to highlight just one thing from verse 17 as we close. So here's our closing verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from Jesus's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I'd like for us to see something important here in verse 17. And this may feel like we're getting into the weeds. We're not getting into the weeds. We are mining treasure of scripture. It's a difference. Look with me at verse 17. In the old covenant, the law was, quote, given through Moses. Say that word, given, given. You could separate the gift from the giver. You could have Moses over here on this side of the room and the law over here on this side of the room. The law was given through Moses. But on the other hand, grace and truth, quote, came through Jesus Christ. See the difference? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You can't separate the fullness of God, which is offered to all of us and lavished upon us. You can't separate the fullness of God from Jesus. Jesus enables us to receive God's fullness not by just giving us grace or giving us truth, but by coming to us as grace, coming to us as truth. God reveals himself in Jesus that we might receive Grace upon grace. We can't earn it. We can't lose it. We can't ration it. We can't exhaust it. We receive all the fullness of the grace of God, unlimited and unmerited, because grace is not just given to us as a thing that we can lose. Grace is given to us by coming to us as a person all the grace you need for all the trials you face, 
all the grace you need living in this fallen world, all the grace you need as a parent, as a child, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, with your sickness, all the grace you need in your day-to-day life, all of God's grace is available to you in Jesus. And God himself reveals himself to us in Jesus that we may receive truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. We can't realize our way to this truth. We can't enlighten or study our way to this truth. We can't empty our minds to become aware of this truth. We receive the fullness of the truth of God revealed in his word, revealed through his son, revealed by the spirit because truth, again, is not simply given to us as facts. Truth has come to us as a person. What a claim of scripture. What a claim of the disciple whom Jesus loved to say that Jesus is grace and Jesus is truth. And because he's truth, that means that all the truth you need living in this world of lies, all the wisdom and the insight and knowledge and discernment can be found in no other place than Jesus. Jesus holds exclusive claim as the source of grace and truth because he is grace and truth. There are plenty of other places that we can run to searching for grace, searching for truth. Plenty of other places or religions or substances or philosophies will offer to give these things to you, but they're all counterfeit. They're all false. They're all empty. The only source of grace that you need as a sinner and the only source of truth that you need as a seeker can be found in Jesus Christ alone. And it's not because you're so smart that you come to him, but because he is so great a savior that he comes to you. Verses 17 and 18, one last time. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And how has God made him known? In the face of Jesus Christ. So we embark now on this journey through the book of John that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Let's pray. God, would you reveal Jesus to us again and again and again and again and again? Oh, God, keep us from getting bored with Jesus. Keep us from being stuck. Draw us deeper in, deeper into that room, deeper into life in Christ. Pray that you would do that by your spirit, through your word, in our hearts, and in this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.